You are listening to an Emmanuel Community Church podcast. For more sermons or information about the church, visit our website at www.emmanuelcommunity.org. Head into a very difficult passage of scripture today, and many of you have been reading it. In fact, some of you have said, Well, I signed up for the scripture reading every day, but it wasn't very encouraging. And no, it, it wasn't, and I really didn't pick the best place to start, but that's where we're at in our study. So today we begin, as I said, a seven part series where we're going to do Romans 1 to 3. And I'm just going to say up front that I don't know of any pastor who looks forward to preaching this section of scripture. It's, it's difficult. Now, we should do all of the word of God. We, we should, as the Bible says, use the whole counsel, the whole, the whole word of God. But there are sections of it that are difficult to preach. There are sections that, you know, we love to preach, hope and joy and those things, but this one is tough. So join me today, if you would, take your Bibles and your sermon notes. We're in Romans at the end of chapter one. And I'm going to do a little review with you from November where we left off. And then if you have your sermon notes, if you'd like to take uh, notes, so we have the paper notes right outside each of our venues, or you can use your church app, your phone, whatever, and follow along that way. There are two lessons we're learning in this series. I'll say this every week for seven weeks. Number one, the common denominator for mankind is sin. No matter what generation you live in, no matter where in the world you live, you have one thing in common with everybody else. We have many things in common, but one thing in particular that we're talking about today, that's sin. We have, we have that in common. Only one person did not have that in common, and you know who that is, Jesus Christ. Secondly, we should stop accusing those who sin differently than we do and realize that we're all in the same boat. We all need help. And I have a tendency, we, I, I know that we have a tendency to kind of grade sin this sin is worse than that sin, and certainly they have different ramifications, uh, but we're going to learn in this section that sin is sin is sin, and we need to understand each other and give a little grace. Okay, when we began the series, we started in first part of chapter one, and we came down to this section, verse 20, and it says that God has shown his eternal power, I'm sorry, yeah, eternal power in his divine nature, and that people men and women, without excuse. We have no excuse to not follow God because he has made himself evident. Now that's the key thought. And then from there, he's going to build on what has happened. Men have rejected him. God, because of that rejection, has started to reveal his wrath. And right away, when you hear the word wrath, I think many of us think about lightning striking us from heaven or something. But keep in mind, wrath has many kind of paths. Let me walk you through them. I taught you these back in November. Don't expect you to remember them. So let's just kind of look through them again. There's seven different kinds that I find. You won't find this in a book anywhere. This is just what I find in scriptures. Number one, his initial wrath. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, God uh, removed them from the garden and death became part of life for all mankind. And so that was his initial wrath. Then there's his catastrophic wrath. You, you know that from the flood when the world is wiped out or from Sodom uh, with the fire and the brimstone or, or Nineveh or whatever. God destroys a person or a place instantly. 
Happened in the wilderness as well with the children of Israel. Number three is his natural wrath. His natural wrath, you don't even think of his wrath because it's, it's actually something that is a rule. Uh, for instance, if you step off of a tall building and you say, I don't believe in gravity, it doesn't matter what you believe, you will go down. That's God's natural wrath. He has made rules in this world that if you defy them, you will face a universal, universal principle, wrath. Number four is his abandonment wrath, where he allows man to do what he wants to do. We'll come back to that one. Number five, his redemptive wrath. In other words, Jesus Christ paid the penalty. Those who follow him, they get life. And those who don't follow him, they get the wrath that they have chosen. That's the redemptive wrath. Number six is his final earthly wrath. There is a time coming when we'll have the seven last years, as most of you know, and there are seven seals, trumpets, but particularly seven bowls of wrath. And the Bible's very clear about that. Number seven here is his eternal wrath. His eternal wrath is heaven and hell. Heaven, of course, not a wrath. But I want to say to you that what we miss with this is all of God's wrath is based in his love. It's not because he hates us, it's because he loves us. Now, I'm going to throw all seven of those back on the screen because I want you to see one of them, and that's the one I mentioned, specifically his abandonment wrath. That's where we're going today, and I want to try to prove that to you in a moment. Now, because they rejected God, men began to replace God with images. And so instead of worshiping this God that we can see in creation, we'd rather worship images like men or birds or animals or reptiles. And I taught that to you back in November and I showed you how important that order is. And we still do that today in that order. And I gave you examples of that. Because of that, we have moved to a place of repulsiveness. Our sin is repulsive to each other and to God, obviously. And now Paul will introduce us to three specific groups of people. Today, we look at Gentiles. I wish I'd have put that in quotes because it's not Gentiles versus Jew. It's the, it's the New Testament word for Gentile that means simply pagans, heathens, people who have no interest in God, don't care about God, don't want to ever care about God. So that's what we'll learn about today. Then next week and part of the following week, we'll look at moral people, people who want to live a good life. And they think that's going to make them better. And then the following week, or two weeks actually, we'll look at religious people. That can be Jewish people, that can be Christian people, but people who are religious. Now, I assume that you fit into one of these categories. But if you don't, Paul then gives one last group, and that group is everybody. In case you think you don't fall into A, B, or C, you do fall into D. So he's telling us that every one of us here fits into one of these areas that our sin is repulsive. Now, this is where we ended. Therefore, God gave them over in their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. And that's why we stopped it there. Amen. Now today we pick it up in verse 26. 
Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Now, there's three things I want to tell you about this uh, section and then we're going to unpack kind of the theme. Number one is God's method of wrath in this situation was to give them over. Remember, I told you abandonment wrath. God, verse 24, this is in November, we read this. God gave them over. Verse 26, we read today. God gave them over. Verse 28, again today. So God gave them over. So it's a theme here. And you might say, wow. Is that a new thing that God has started doing? Oh, no, no, it, it's, it's been going on for a long time. In fact, if I take you back to the Old Testament, the book of Job says, and he gave them over. Psalm says, and he gave them over. Verse, uh, Psalm 81 says, so I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own devices. And, and that's kind of the key of what abandonment wrath is. Abandonment wrath is you love someone so much, you just let them do what they want to do and learn on their own. What's the, what's the classic example of that or the classic story? And you all know the prodigal son. The prodigal son came to his dad and his dad in the story, of course, is the heavenly father. That's the picture. And he says, I want my inheritance now. I want to go live my own life. I reject you. And the father could have brought in Christian counselors. He could have brought in some of his best friends of the son and had him talk to the son. He, he could have told his son that he's grounded and he can't leave the house. He could have done a lot of things, but he says, okay, here you go. Here's your inheritance. Go give it a shot. And as you know, the son fortunately realized that he needed the father and he came back in love. And that's, that's the goal of this kind of, of wrath, giving them over. It's because you love them so much. Now, in this passage of scripture, as you heard me read, there are two groups of people, male and female. And by the way, the interesting thing is, this is not the normal word in the Greek for male and female. It's, it, usually it's, it's the word women and men is what we use. And in fact, it's translated that way, but the actual translation of this is male and female, or in this case, even their females in the same way the males. Now, I want to show you something. We'll come back to this in a, a little bit, but even. You see, in the Roman Empire, there was homosexuality, no question. But it was almost unheard of, according to even secular writers, among women. So what Paul is doing is he's starting with what is most shocking to people. And he says, even their women and the men, they exchanged the natural relations. The Bible says, male and female created them. We know here that there are two genders, there is male and female. Whether we look at animals or fish or birds or people, there are male and female. And I know our society wants to teach us differently, but we, we know this to be the case. My, my wife and I, we, we love to feed birds. And uh, we put out different feeders with different feed and test things. You know, I get way too into that. And, uh, Yesterday, we were sitting at lunch, and we had a male and a female cardinal come in, and a male and a female bluebird come in, and a male and a female uh, downy woodpecker come in, and so forth. And it was fun to watch, but there was no third gender of any of them. 
And, and I know that some people will say, well, there are exceptions among fish or whatever. Sure, that's why we call them exceptions. The rule is that God created male and female. There are two genders. Thirdly, you should know, these verses are about homosexual sin. No matter what language you read this in, it doesn't matter. You will come to the same conclusion. There is no other way to interpret this. Now, people want to interpret it differently, and I'm going to show you some of the things people use in a moment. But that's what this is about. And so if that's how you've interpreted it, you're right. But, caution, I'm about to unpack some things for you that some of you are going to go, oh, I don't like that. That goes against what society is teaching us. And some of you are going to say, go get them, preacher. <laughs> and I want to know both of you are jumping ahead of me, okay? Because I think where we land, you'll be okay with. So, so just hang with me, even if you're one side or the other of this coin, just hang with me. How do some people interpret this passage of scripture? Number one, some say that this was cultural. Now I'm gonna pause on your sermon notes right there because I wanna explain that. Jesus said, don't think that I've come to abolish the law, I've come to fulfill it, right? Now, some people say, well, in the New Testament, there are two rules. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And that's it, as long as you do those two things. So things like, you know, homosexuality or whatever, that, that was for that day, not for now. Let me explain to you what God did fulfill, what Christ did fulfill. In the Old Testament, you'll find two kind of laws. Ceremonial law, like sacrifices and offerings and the way people dress and so forth, those are ceremonial. They are pictures of Jesus, of the Messiah. Then there's moral law. That's things like, you know, envy and, you know, murder and so forth. You, you know what those are. What Jesus did is came and fulfilled the ceremonial law, not the moral law. The moral law still stands. In fact, let me continue the thought. Although we live in the season of grace, sin is still sin. In fact, Jesus made moral law even tougher, didn't he? You know, you could see a man saying, well, I didn't commit adultery. We were close, but I didn't commit adultery. And Jesus said, oh, oh, if you did in your heart. If you even looked at that woman in lust, you've committed adultery. So Jesus didn't remove those. He actually strengthened them. Ouch. Secondly. Some say that this is doing what is natural to you. In other words, even their women exchange natural sexual relations. Well, you see, the point that some will make, and I've heard this preached, is that you were born with a particular proclivity, and so that being the case, if, you have a, if you're a woman and have an attraction toward women, that's your natural way. So it's okay if it's natural. No, that's not what this word natural mean. This fusikos is the word, and it means natural according to the standard of things, what we would call nature. So it's not about you. In fact, if you don't know how to maybe describe that using a Greek word, let's just use a very common sense res uh, response. Let's say you would apply this argument to anything else, any, any other sin. For instance, a friend from here at the church comes up to you and starts gossiping. And you say, we shouldn't gossip. And that person says to you, 
Oh, no, my grandparents were gossips. My parents were gossips. I was born with the DNA to gossip. And so it's natural for me to gossip, so it's okay. And you would say, no, it isn't. You see, it doesn't work anywhere else. Number three, and I just want you to understand this. Some quote other Christian groups that I'm not going to bother trying to quote or even refer to today who want to rationalize this sin in some form. They want to say, you know, it's okay and here's why it's okay. Even in my opinion, the Bible is so clear that it's sin. Some will try, and by the way, the Bible says this, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. And that's what's happening in our world today. Now, one more thing I want you to hear. Some would say that Jesus never spoke against homosexuality. And specifically, that would be true, but you want to put that in context. For instance, Jesus never spoke against murder. He never told people, don't murder. Except he made it stronger, as I've already told you. If you hate your brother, that's, that's even murder. So he, he never had to talk about that because that was the law of the day. What was the law? Who was Jesus speaking to? Jewish people. And in Judaism, homosexuality was absolutely sin. It was, it was against the law. So Jesus never had to speak about it. And on the other hand, in a positive way, multiple times Jesus talked about marriage between a man and a woman. And he said, haven't you read that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female. So, so in a positive way, he did speak about it. Now I say all that to say, but, and this is really important, but this isn't the point of this passage. Any sexual activity outside of marriage, as God intended, is, is sin. If you, before you were married, had relations, or if you are now, if you're a married person and having relations with another married person or another person that's not your spouse, that's adultery. If you're involved in pornography, that's sin. And we can go on and on with various sexual sin. You see, the point isn't that this sin is worse than any other sin. The point is we're all in sin in some form. This is an issue of hypocrisy. We have the right interpretation. Is homosexuality sin? Yes. But we use it in the wrong, wrong context. We say, you're a sinner. Well, what's the passage saying? We're all sinners. And Paul only used homosexuality because it was not the norm. I know in the Roman Empire, it, there was homosexuality. But it was not the norm then. It's not the norm today. It's not the standard. And so he starts with what would shock people. He could have used adultery or fornication or anything else. But he starts here because he wants to get our attention. So we get the right interpre interpretation. But as Christians, what makes me so sad is we use this in exactly the way it's not to be used. Pointing fingers. That moves us to the next section about other sin. So he says, furthermore, let me tell you about other sin, non-sexual. Just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. 
They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no mercy. Phew, he's getting worked up, isn't he? And, and, and rightfully so. Although they know God's righteous decree they, that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Now, I'm not going to go through all of those sins. I just want to say to you that this section is a study of those who have rejected God. Remember, this is about pagan people. And it's about the fact that these people are filled with these things. I, I, I'm, I'm guessing as I read that list of sins to you, some of you thought, I just did that sin. I just committed that. Sure, we all do. See, that's not the point. The point of this passage is that there are a group of people who have a depraved mind that they don't care. You commit that sin and you feel guilty about it. You go to the Lord in prayer. You seek forgiveness. But these people don't. They have a depraved mind. And look at the passage. They are filled with every kind of wickedness. It's become their lifestyle. And they're good with that. So Paul is telling you about a group of people that we might brand pagans, heathen, those who are outside of God and don't care about God. Number two, Paul gives a long list of those sins as examples. It's not an exhaustive list. While I read it, if I didn't happen to mention your sin, don't go, Phew. okay? This is not the exhaustive list. This is just saying, for example, and I want you to know most and maybe all of the societies on our planet, the various cultures that we have on our planet, these are wrong in most every place, greed and evil and strife and murder. I mean, these are wrong anywhere you live. So Paul is just kind of giving uh, the way a person lives when they're apart from God, no matter where they live. Thirdly, there are four words that define these people. I'm going to show you down here at the bottom of the screen. This is the ESV translation. It's not the standard one we use, but I like this because they use four words. Foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. And I just stole those words, okay? Foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. I just love the way that's interpreted. And I'll show you why. In the Greek, each one of them is one word. And each one of them starts with an alpha. So it's alliteration. As I told you, Paul's get, getting worked up here. His blood pressure is going up. His face getting red. He's dictating this to his secretary. We learn about that in chapter 16. So, so he's all worked up and he, he uses these four A words because it just like drives the, 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 the nail home. Asinitos. They are asinitos. They are asinthitos. They are asturgos. They are analeemon. You can just hear him kind of raising his voice. I imagine his secretary was like, calm down, Paul. Because this is where he kind of brings it to a head. This is the way these people live. Foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. These people know better. That's what the Bible says. They know better. Remember why? Because in chapter 1, verse 20, it says, no man is without excuse. We all can know God. But they... They know better, but they can't stop it. You know, I think there are many people in this group who say to late at night, I, I can't live this way again tomorrow. 
And then they get up the next morning and they do the very same things and they live that way again day after day after day. They not only continue to do these things, they, they approve of others who practice them. Why? Because misery loves company. They're trying to approve it so what they're doing looks okay. That's how pagan society lives. What's the bottom line? Well, I want to remind you of this. The people we're talking about in this section of scripture we just studied are not going to be reading Romans 1 to 3. They don't even know what Romans 1 to 3 is. So Paul didn't write that for them. He wrote it for us. And the bottom line is, you already know, don't be hypocritical. Don't be pointing fingers at someone else who's involved in a sexual sin or a non-sexual sin and say, I don't do that. Well, you do other things. And by the way, if you think maybe that isn't the point, I just want to give you a peek at where we start next week. You therefore have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else for at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment, you're doing the same things. They just have different names. Ouch. How do you apply something like this? I, I don't know. What I did for this week is I wrote a prayer for us to close with. I based it on the outline of the Lord's Prayer, but it was maybe something that had helped me get my hypocritical heart back in line with where it ought to be. So I'm going to put it on the screen. I'm going to let you read it to yourself. And if you're comfortable, in just a few minutes, we'll, a few moments, we'll read it together. Now, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, by the way, I'm gonna invite our worship team up. Haven't done that, but if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, I'd like to invite you to pray this aloud with me. We'll read it. If you really can pray it, meaning it with all your heart, then please join me as we read. Are you ready? Our Father in heaven, your name is holy. We look forward to Jesus' return to earth. And in the meantime, we desire to be walking within your will. Forgive us for our own sins in the same way that we have forgiven those who have hurt us. And when we are tempted to condemn those who sin differently, help us through your Holy Spirit to remember that we all are lost without your grace. Amen.